Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Gen 3 delays and deliberations ahead of decisive debut. Tax Zone tweaks to provide race format twist for 2023. FIA Bigwig gets top Mahindra gig, and we're joined by special guest, the XL Exceller. Hello and welcome to the latest Formula E podcast from the race. My name is Andrew Vandenberg and this week I'm delighted to welcome Avalanche Andretti driver Jake Dennis. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thank you for having me, guys. appreciate it. Uh, I've listened to a few, so yeah, happy to you. Um, yeah, be on. Well, in that case, you'll know the format and joining us as ever is our man in the Formula E paddock. Chomping at the bit to see the Gen 3 cars in action. It's Sam Smith. Sam, um, we're going to return to our traditional opening gambit. So when did you first become aware of Jake and his racing driving exploits? And what did you make of his first couple of seasons in Formula E? Yeah, I reckon I saw Jake first in F3, probably back in 2015 when he was with Prima. I think that was his Prima year. But the first time I really remember him properly in, in terms of what he delivered was was at Le Mans a year later when he raced for Jota. Um, I've known the Jota guys for 20 odd years I'm particularly Sam Hignett and Bob Friend um, they're, they're, they're mates of mine so I, I clearly remember Sam exactly yeah I clearly remember Sam being uh, very complimentary about Jake and, and sort of really happy with his performance at Le Mans that year and he, he delivered despite them not getting a finish which is you know, a bit of a rarity for Jota but yeah then he had some really good DTM performances didn't he um, before coming to Formula E uh, it wasn't never seemed to me to be on the formerly radar and I think it was much as a surprise to Jake that he did get that seat but you know there were a lot of there's a lot of curiosity on how he might get on in Formula E but um, you know we've seen drivers before really struggle to break through in Formula E and, and understand it and get to grips with it and excel and you know Jake was the, the complete opposite of that you know he was um, he was at the races from the very beginning pretty much but you have to say he made that impression um, and while there were many that were were sort of shocked by how good he was in Formula E personally I wasn't because as I said I I knew some top people who've worked with him before and his skill and dedication was never in doubt so yeah I'd say he's been probably the best rookie in, in Formula E maybe you know Jean-Eric Verne in season one you know it's a different challenge back then but coming in during half a halfway through a rule set as, as Jake did uh, with BMW I Andretti um, in 21 and excelling the way he did yeah I mean exceptional really so he's one of the top performers in in the championship i don't think there's any doubt in that well that's quite a build-up sam's giving you there jake um but let's just go back to that career that you were in just before you came to uh, formula e you were working for red bull in the sim doing some gt3 racing but from those of us sitting afar you didn't really appear to be having many options to race at an international level so what was your reaction when you, you got the bmw call to test a gen 2 car and, and then the full-time drive yeah um 
yeah, I'd, I'd be lying if it wasn't a shock for everyone, you know. Um, it was obviously a bit of a call-up, um, a shock. Like, we only really had, like, one one link into BMW, and that was um, the chief engineer from Arden back in 2016 when I raced for them. He was, like, the chief uh, like the chief energy guy and uh, was obviously went to all the races and stuff, and he said, Sims is leaving. There's an opportunity for you to come in and um yeah maybe you know uh give it a good go so um but i knew sort of dtm was 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 ending and bmw had around about six of their best drivers also wanting the seat so it sort of started off with a simulator day and that was against nick gellerly at the time and um they were just evaluating you know their their drivers it wasn't really a head-to-head against nick or anything like that but it was um just a general evaluation um, thankfully I'm, I'm pretty good at simulators, you know, it's something which I enjoy, uh, at home, but also I've just been involved with, with Red Bull for like four years now. And then I was, uh, with Williams for around about three years before that. Um, so yeah, generally simulators are something I'm quite good at and it's generally a, a way for teams to evaluate you now. So that's always a positive and, uh, that went very well. And then it was like me against the, the other six, um, to actually get the seat and ultimately they, they gave me a test uh, Verano I sort of just rocked up didn't really know what to expect and um, uh, Max Gunther was the sort of baseline it was so it was just me and Max there the other the other five drivers or six drivers had already done their tests and um, yeah long story short um, it basically came down to me and Sheldon and um, they put him in for the final test before Valencia so I thought okay well that's me done then I'm not I'm not really gonna get uh, another opportunity to to show myself and to be honest I could see why they wouldn't choose me I could see a lot more reasons why they wouldn't choose me over choosing me uh the only thing I had in my in my in my pocket was that I was fast uh but I'm sure the other guys were were as well uh but they also you know bringing me in from Aston Martin and then paying me a salary when they already need to pay six other drivers and fill them up with a seat was always going to be a challenge. But Mike Crack um, rang up Fraser, uh, my management, and said, uh, we want Jake in the seat uh, for, for the season. So um, something I'll always I'll thank uh, Mike on is that he just wanted the fastest guy in the, in the seat and um, he, he really didn't pay much attention to to the guys above him, you know, that the head, I would imagine they were all just saying, just take one of the BMW guys. It's not going to be that much different. And Mike was obviously just the pure racer he is, chose me. And um, yeah, in, in the end, it paid off. You know, we had a great season and uh, I have every right to thank Mike and also BMW in general. But yeah, definitely Mike, you know, he he went against everyone and, and took the risk and it, and it worked out. I mean, that's an amazing um, battle against the odds there, really. So yeah. with that in in mind, did it sort of surprise you how well that first season went? You know, wins in Valencia, London, and being right in the heart of the title fight all the way down to the wire? Yeah, definitely. You know, especially as how badly the start of the season went. It wasn't as bad as it looked, but yeah, we were like round five and I had no points on the board. Um, and yeah, it was just through bad luck and a little bit of not being generally quick enough i would say uh but yeah there was there was times which you know there was points what clearly should have been won you know i think um 
I think Rome was a standout weekend where FB1 went very well. I think I was top eight, uh, considering I'd never been there. So I felt confident. Uh, and then I was doing practice starts um, on the start line, like like everyone else was. And then Oliver Turvey forgot we were doing practice starts and completely destroyed my car when I was sat there stationary and he hit me at, I don't know, 150K. So that was a bit disappointing. And then sure enough, that qualifying session, which I was meant to take part in, was a drying track. And obviously, um, with the group I was in, it basically was a guaranteed Super pole, you know, approach. And uh, went to pull away in the pit lane. The guys had a great job fixing the mechanical side of the car. Yeah, went to went to do my qualifying, and it wouldn't it wouldn't start. Basically, the software was still damaged or something like this, and. Uh, yeah, I had to basically miss a guaranteed top six start. And um, and it was just stuff like that at the start of the season, which really like hindered us. And then uh, it all turned around, basically, from when that first win at Valencia. It obviously gave me the confidence. Uh, we won a race, which everyone says it's impossible to lead um, because the toe was so big. Uh, but yeah, we, we led from start to finish and, uh, and got my first win in Formula E. And then my confidence just grew massively. I believed more in myself again and uh, and the team, you know, me and my engineer. And um, it was such a big, weirdly enough, it was actually quite a big divide between me and Max. Not so much in, nothing like in terms of we were hiding stuff, but it was more just um, like different styles of driving. Like the car setters, the car setups were massively different. Um and not always to my knowledge, uh, to be honest. I was always like, at the end of the weekend, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't realize how far different they went. Um, so it was always difficult to compare data, especially back then with the tire situation. You know, so some people running like hot tires on the rear, cold tires on the front uh, at certain parts of testing. So when you look at the data after the practice, you couldn't really see you couldn't really take too much into it and look too much into it. So it was difficult. And um, both engineers had a very different approach to how they approached the weekend. So it was really hard to learn off Max. Uh, but yeah, then we turned it around and obviously got the win in London, um, pole position uh, at Valencia. And then we were just constantly and deserved like top fives. You know, we had two top fives in Mexico um, and Berlin. Uh, so yeah. Then obviously the disaster struck on uh, on on Sunday, but nevertheless, it was a it was a great season. So Sam, that's a, a pretty bold statement. The the best rookie season ever. What, what what was it about what Jake did that led you to that conclusion? Well, just picking up from what I said earlier, that coming in midway through a rule set is is never easy. Um, but then again, you know there was the bit of yin and yang as well because he also got some let's say favorable or slightly favorable qualifying groups depending on on the circuit with that old tombola system we used to have of uh, of of going qualifying but still as he said valencia and i remember saying this when we did a pod with jack nichols who um yeah didn't share the same opinion that his victory was one of the best that season and i said that because i remember pretty much everyone on that grid pre-race was saying they didn't want to lead that lead that event at all you know at any stage it was whoever was whoever was going to be at the front was going to you know wasn't going to make it through the um, the, the energy um, uh, through what energy they had and, and the fact that there was a chance the race was going to go uh, be variable on the on the lap so you know when when he 
when he converted that pole to victory um, and then kicked on and, as he's just described, accrued all those points and was in contention after that great win in uh, XL and he's in contention for the title... For any rookie, I mean, no rookie's ever done that in Formula E. You know, Oliver Rowland had a really good debut season in 2018-19 in and, and got a bunch of poles, but he didn't win a race. You know, he didn't win a race to the season after. Um, I just, you know, I thought it was pretty exceptional. And don't forget, you know, Max Max Gunter's won, won three E-Prix. Um, and, you know, Max isn't is no slouch, as, as, as Jake knows. He's on his day. He's, um, he's capable of winning races. So... That said, he got the better of his teammate. He brought the car home. I don't remember, actually, in his two-season, many shunts. Yes, there's been the, the usual, you know, um, rubbing his racing thing of, of Formula E, and there's been plenty of contact. But I don't remember him dropping it, and the only shunt I recall, really, was the one that wasn't his fault when, when he, as he said, Turvey took a few out at, at Rome. So, you know, I it, could he have won that title? I, you know, I don't know. I think I think De Vries, De Vries on the day um, might have had things covered, but Jake was in a very good position uh, on that restart and that real nightmare scenario did play out and it was unfortunate. But I think to even be in contention, although it will be no um, compensation for him now, but even to be in, comp- in, um, in contention, sorry, for a title in his first season... Um, from where he came from with minimal testing um yeah it was it was really really impressive so w- without doubt the the best debut season i've seen in um in formery so jake you went from taking the championship to the wire at templehof which is of course also bmw's final race so going into last season things were changing within the team no direct factory involvement but you stuck it on the podium in riyadh so how um, quickly did you gel with the new setup there and what was your role in helping to bring the new team together yeah it was a it was a very different role to be honest um from my first year to my second year and honestly i think making the podium in Riyadh was probably one of the worst things we could have done in terms of just the expectation we set right from that point was was then so high like to then like well if this is our first race together you know with all with some really key personnel leaving from BMW uh, from the, like the energy side uh, and people like that was was a big thing for us. And it, it was great that it gave us confidence in terms of like, okay, we can do this. But then the next five rounds were a bit of a slap in the face, to be honest. Like we went to Mexico and we were just straight up slow. We were not fast at all. I felt like I did honestly one of the best laps I've done in Formula E and I qualified 16th and... Uh, and in FP1, <laughs> I said to my engineer, I was like, I've somehow fluked that lap, but my lap in FP1 was 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 very good. And he's like, okay, you're about eight temps off, but I was ninth. And I was like, I was like, okay, all right, fair enough. And then sure enough, when everyone sort of just built up to it, FP2, I was then like 13th. Um, and then qualifying, me and Oliver were just absolutely nowhere. And then sure enough in the race, it was just an absolute disaster weekend and we just had no pace whatsoever. And it was like back to the drawing board. And to be honest, like I think for the package we had, you know, we had no development from 2021 to 2022. Uh, we, we did a great job in the next, uh, in the next like four or five, in the next like four rounds in terms of 
extracting everything what we had we were still fundamentally lacking pace but just the way especially my my car crew with my engineer who was brand new to formula e that year and then uh, my data engineer roman just what we extracted from the package we had was just uh it was exceptional really every every run every practice session every quality and race i, I genuinely believed give a position or what we extracted um where we qualified was always quite good um but it, it was quite evident that in the race and in the efficiency everyone had taken a step forward from from 2021 and uh it was just a matter of survival in the races but we you know we picked up quite a few top uh top tens but it was always like eighth to tenth and even if i'd have the race of my life we just didn't have the pace to match uh, you know, the likes of Mercedes, uh, Venturi, uh, DS and Jaguar. So if, you know, if both teammates, um, you know, delivered on that day, then I would generally pick up a P8 or P9. And I felt like that was the best we could do. And then it was towards only really towards the end of the season where the tracks played a bit more in our favour. You know, London's not really an energy limited race and neither is a uh, uh, I can't remember the, the track now, but in South Korea, um, it was yeah, in Seoul. Yeah, that was it. It was very much a quite a fast race. Uh, obviously, one of them was wet, and then the second one was, you know, just a, a damp track, I believe. But it was a very, it was a very quick race, and not much energy was uh, was needed. So, you know, we picked up a lot of points. The car was fast, and um, yeah, the team did a great job to turn things around to just deliver an even quicker car in qualifying. And then uh, yeah, we. I think we had, um, well, we obviously had three out of four podiums in the last four races and I don't think we qualified outside the top five. So uh, it was a very strong turnaround from from the team and it gave me, I, I had so much confidence going into qualifying uh, with the car I had. It was very good. So that's such a big thing in Formula E and probably more than any other championship I've ever experienced. Uh, I would imagine in anything, even compared to Formula One, because you literally have about five useful laps in FP1 and FP2 to to learn stuff uh, regarding just pure performance. So if the driver has the confidence on that one lap in qualifying, you can generally extract a couple of attempts in just that. Whereas the likes of other championships, you've got you know FP1, FP2, FP3, and they're all an hour and a half long, or they're all an hour long, and you're generally not arriving at different um, speeds, you know, you're always approaching and braking at the same point. Uh, whereas in Formula E, you know, some laps you'll arrive 20k quicker and some laps you'll arrive 20k slower because you're doing energy runs. So I feel like that was a really big part for, for myself and uh, something which I'll, hopefully I can take forward into into next season. Absolutely. Um, Sam, we sort of the narrative around last season was the fight between Evans, Van Dorn, Jev and a few others. But Jake's end of season form really made him, uh, you know, the form guy. Uh, do you think when a bit more luck, he could have been a contender? Um, I, I think it's probably a stretch to say that he could get in that um, battle going into Seoul. I, you know, I, I, as, as Jake said, there were races like, like Mexico, um, I think Marrakesh was great, but equally, you know, they had some really great races. Derea, as, as Jake mentioned, obviously London, where he was pretty imperious. 
New York was reasonable, some decent points. Jakarta and and the Seoul, the finale was was really good for Avalanche Andretti. But I think I ranked him fourth in the season review pod we did with Gary Paffett. So I think that's about right. You know, I think a a crack at the title was. No, I, you know, it wasn't quite there. And I think for the reasons that Jake mentioned, that the team was recalibrating. Um, plus, it there were tracks where it, it just wasn't suited as much in the consistency side of things as Mercedes and, um, and, and Jaguar. Although, you know, having said that, Jaguar kind of tanked at um, Berlin, didn't they? So, no, I, you know, I think I think if he finished sixth in the championship, I think I think fifth might have been a bit fairer, but Degrassi, you know, he got a fair few points in the, the last few races. Um, that great race he had with, with Jake um, in London, the second race as well. So, um, but for me, um, like I said before, the lack of errors, that really stands out from last season. I, I, you know, I think um, in battle, he's he's learnt quite a lot because I remember in the the opening races of his first season he was I don't think shocked but I think he was kind of he realised he had to get his elbows out a bit more which he did um, and you know last season London apart Sol was I thought really impressive you know the way he got that podium despite a penalty after that the cost the contact a harsh penalty I think that's uh, that goes without saying uh, but to knuckle down and, and get the necessary gap to get that podium was was a, was a great race for him on the whole is, is 2022 was every bit as good as 2021 and actually maybe maybe it was even better because he he was you know so, so far ahead of his teammate and okay his teammate was a rookie um which which Jake knows what it's like being a rookie but again he was a good chunk quicker than than uh, Oliver Askew and he also just seemed to make things happen in the race and that's what you had to do in Gen 2 Formula E racing you had to make things happen and he did so yeah fair play for another good season Jake talking uh, about Oliver you two seem to get on well are you gonna you gonna miss him uh honestly yeah he's a he's a great guy uh to be honest I never really not get along with my teammates I'm the last person who will ever play mind games I really don't ever see the point of it I feel like if you're just quicker than them the whole time you'll mentally destroy them anyway but uh I just feel like with Oliver he was a great guy uh always wanting to learn uh, and it was good like his feedback was honestly really good uh it was always the same as mine it wasn't like we were going massively off tangent against you know he's got this balance I've got this balance so he brought value to the team it was just a shame um he just wasn't quite quick enough but it was um, his show towards the end of the season that he could definitely perform. You know, I think he uh, qualified um, in the in uh, what, what the jewels. That was it. The jewels uh, this season, uh, quite a lot towards the end of the season, and uh, he started to build confidence and, and trust the car a lot more. And to be honest, after doing an IndyCar test, I would say. And one of the biggest things he struggled with was the was was the braking in Formula E. It's, it's so unique and so different to anything else you would have you, you drive in your junior career. And he's obviously driven a lot in America. And after driving the Indy car, I can now I understood it anyway, but I can now understand it even more of how far different the cars are. It's literally centuries apart in terms of you got this raw beast of a car of IndyCar where it's just heavy. It's got a load of power and it's got some downforce, uh, but, and you just sort of just rag it, you know, you just get hold of the thing and, and just send it. Whereas Formula E is so 
the opposite to that you know it's all about finesse it's all about software it's a, it's such a, a a unique way you break and um you just i i feel like if you just did years of indycar or years of just smashing the brake pedal you don't you can't develop or you don't have that finesse braking uh in your toolbox directly and it was only really towards the end of the year he he, he sort of learned that and you know could do a much much better job for the team and and, and himself and i feel like the second year um uh, he would have definitely been a good a, a good a good teammate for myself uh but obviously the team the team made their decision and uh and obviously they brought in andre which i think is a great step forward for the team uh, in terms of you know experience um you know you've got a guy who is raced in formula e for a decent time obviously not a massive amount but obviously his his career itself uh, speaks speaks volumes and i'm just looking forward to learning off him in more in just the way he approaches a weekend you know i think a guy with that sort of experience will will teach me a lot in terms of that aspect i think i think lap time wise I'll very much hold my own uh, and and be confident that I'll be just as fast as him. But it's just the uh, the way he approaches a weekend. I think is going to be very interesting and how he how he speaks to his engineers and and really build the team around him. Uh, I'm very much learning. I'm very much looking forward to learning that off him. And and he's a great guy. Uh, I'm really good friends with Andre. He's a he's a top bloke. So I'm very much looking forward to working with him in 2023. He's a he's a bit of a contrasting figure, isn't he, Andre? He's a lovely bloke away from the track, but on track, he's about the most uncompromising character you're going to come across. Yeah, that's why I'm quite looking forward to having him as my teammate because obviously <laughs> that won't happen next year. Um, yeah, we definitely had it was actually Saudi race one where it was so difficult to pass him, um, but nevertheless, he uh, I got the job done eventually, but it did cost me a fair amount of, fair amount of energy and, and lap time, but. Um, yeah, I think Antonio is not is not best best friends with him on track, uh, to say the least. Let's have a quick diversion and talk about that IndyCar test. You did it at Sebring, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what a track to drive an IndyCar in! I imagine you felt the bumps uh, in that. <laughs> yeah, it was a such an unreal experience. Uh, to be honest, it was that and a Formula Two, which I've obviously have no desire to drive now. But that was really the last single seater for me, uh, which. Uh, I hadn't driven, you know, I'd driven some really good cars. I'd driven like World Series, obviously Formula One. And IndyCar for me was like the last one to the to, to the puzzle. And I didn't really know what to what to expect. Uh, my approach to it was very relaxed. You know, I just signed a year to a multi-year deal with with Andretti in Formula E. So I knew I wasn't going to IndyCar and I didn't. I don't really have a massive amount of interest to ever race an Indy car, so I just approached it in a very relaxed and just try and enjoy it. And um, and the team sort of wanted to know how I would approach it because if I just rocked up and said I want to be the fastest guy out there and let me and just give me all the new tires and give me the fastest setup, they it would have been a not very a useful test um for, for them at least so i just said look i don't really care about lap time um let me have a bit of fun but if we need to test stuff then we'll test it and we very much took that approach you know we had a lot of damper work to get through um a lot of uh, a lot of ride height stuff so it was very much a, a test for them and a bit of fun for me and that's exactly what it was uh, to be honest and um yeah 
very thankful to obviously Michael. Uh, it was great. Oh, so you're telling? I know the calendars don't allow this, but you're telling me if uh, there was some way they were putting a, a Indy Road Course, Indy Five Hundred package on your, that's not something you're interested in. I'm not sure. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> An Indy Five Hundred, definitely, definitely not. I'd much rather spectate. To be honest, I do really want to go to one, and I would love to go. Uh, unfortunately, it clashes this year. I've already looked. Yeah, um, which is a great shame. So I do just want to be a fan. Uh, and you know obviously be pit side and see what it's all about but oh no you've got to stand on the outside of turn one when they come around for qualifying <laughs> yeah. 240 miles an hour into there there's nothing else like it in motorsport <laughs> that is definitely something i would love to uh, to be a part of uh, for sure but yeah like i actually left the test thinking even more secure uh that i made the right decision to sign a multi-year deal with andretti um if formulary obviously i think if michael uh, and myself really wanted to to align and both do IndyCar, he could probably do something about it. But nevertheless, uh, I'm very happy with where I'm at with Formula E and, uh, and excited to work with Formula E, you know, to, to build and be involved in, in a, a bigger and better future for sure. So Sam, Andretti have got Porsche Power, Jake and Andre Lotra next season. That sounds like a pretty potent combination to me. Yeah, it's strong, isn't it? I think one of the strongest lineups in Formula E for next season. I actually see, you know, Jake talking about Andre there. I, I see a little bit of um, a young lotterer in, in Jake, actually. I mean, I've followed uh, Andre's career, as you have as well, Vida B, for, for so, so many years. I think I think probably between us, we've seen Andre drive everything, maybe apart from that Caterham F1 cameo, potentially. Yeah, wasn't it that um, spa that year, but probably everything yeah, else. But, yeah, but... Everything else, you know, he's a bit like Jake. He's driven such a diverse array of cars. You know, I think that just only helps a professional driver, doesn't it? And and get the the, the skills and the the little secrets that they can uh, use in other other disciplines. So, you know, I, I still can't believe Lotter hasn't won an Epre, which is you know ridiculous when you look at his stats, particularly in qualifying over the last two seasons. I mean, forget about the last half of. 2022 which was a disaster for Porsche as we know but actually the first half of the year and in 2021 he was pretty much top of the tree in terms of um his mean out is his average uh, qualifying position so he still he still got it he's never got the rub of the green in the races um which we know but I, I think um I think in terms of that team you've got Obviously, the the young charger in Jake uh, and Andre's experience and the way that he goes about his racing, I just think it's it's um it's a nice squad. You know, I think in terms of the personalities, you know, I've never heard a bad word said about Andre Lotterer from his from a team member, an engineer, team boss, or whoever. As you said, some of his competitors have got slightly different opinions sometimes when he's <laughs> when he's in battle. But there you go. Um, I, as as far as I know, he's he's never been a overtly political guy, which tallies with um, you know which which matches Jake and the way he operates. So I can only see it being a good thing actually, and obviously. Andre's affinity and his knowledge of how Porsche works is going to be key. You know that is a that is a massive boost for Avalanche Andretti for next season because the level of experience that Andre has and the way that he goes about his business in in Formula E and just racing generally um, can only be a positive thing for for Andretti. So again, um, 
a kind of a lot of it mirrors Jake's approach to racing. So I, I see it as a a great um, a great addition to the team. You know, just concurring with what Jake said. But the the, the key thing is that fact of getting. Porsche power because as we know Porsche have got a hell of a lot to prove after let's say at best a mediocre season last season and, and then despite some flashes you know not delivering on that promise and one thing I know about following Porsche in the last 20 years in sports car racing in particular is that they don't like uh, losing you know it hurts when they're not winning so that is, um, yeah, that that should be a major boon for for Andretti as we we head into Gen Three. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Jake, yeah, two huge changes for the coming season. Obviously, the switch to Porsche power, but obviously the the new car as well. I think you've done a couple of days in the development car, haven't you? So what have you made of both working with Porsche and and the new car? Yeah, obviously working with Porsche, the biggest thing is just learning the software. Um, That's really the biggest change. Um, Actually, all the guys there seem very easy and approachable um, and always willing to to the to improve on the software you know i think me and and antonio have got a lot of valuable information to to, to bring to porsche and we've already started to imply and, and develop it uh, to make the porsche software uh, even better so that's really the biggest thing with porsche i would say and then obviously yeah just the new car uh, that's such a a different and powerful car now uh, you know having the front motor um you know full regen and the braking it's 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 a real different car to drive and also just having different tires i think that's really the biggest thing for at least us right now is trying to to get the biggest and best understanding uh we possibly can with the hankook tire and then to try and develop that into the simulator for the uh for the tire model so Honestly, I'm quietly confident that we can we can have a great season. Um, I do believe we can win races, uh, but you really don't know until uh, until Mexico. Uh, I think Valencia will definitely give us a an insight of where we're at. But so far, uh, it's all seems all seems good, and um, yeah, it's just the cars themselves are so are so fast now in terms of like acceleration and you know managing traction and then obviously the top speeds now are obviously much higher so um i think it will be very difficult for the driver uh especially on the street circuits i think all the places we've tested that you know you're not surrounded by walls but i think when you go to like saudi sector two and like rome sector two it's going to be a 
a serious challenge for the driver to to keep the car in check um, in between all the walls. But ultimately, that's what everyone's uh, that's what everyone wants to see, and that's what the drivers enjoy. You know, we love a challenge, and uh, yeah, um, I think it's going to be a, a good spect- uh, spectacular event uh, at each and each one of them. Is it interesting you uh, you raise the tyres there? Because obviously, you know, the Formula E's run on Michelin since uh, the series was created. And each individual tyre producer makes tyres in a slightly different way. What what's the what are your initial feelings about what they're like to drive on? Um, I think ultimately the Hankook does deliver less grip um, over one lap. Um, and it's quite evident in just the terms of the tyre wear itself. You know, last year... By the end of the race, they were almost slicks. You know, there wasn't really any tread um, left for the driver, hence why everyone crashed at New York. You know, if we got any rain in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes of a race, we'd really struggle. Um, obviously, the tread blocks burning down during a race, which is dry, is is good because obviously then we don't suffer so much with, with thermal degradation, whereas the Hankook seems to be much more robust. Uh, you don't really get this... Um, you know, tread block wearing out like you did with the Michelin. So I don't think we'll see uh, any instances like we saw in New York last season, which is great. Uh, obviously, it is a bit dangerous that uh, because ultimately it made having um, a wet and a dry tyre merged together pretty pointless because it couldn't cope with the rain unless it was new or only slightly worn. Whereas, uh, whereas I feel like this year or next season, sorry, it's will genuinely have a tyre which can do wet and dry. Um, but maybe over one lap, the ultimate grip is slightly less than uh, than what the Michelin could produce. But I think it's going to be a, a great position for Hancock. You know, it's obviously something completely different for them. And uh, But there's going to be a lot to learn with the tyre for next season. Not It's going to take a while to really learn what the best way is to, to warm it up, what the best peak of the tyre is. Because uh, last season was like 80k, uh, the tyre was sort of at its best, whereas this season it could be, um, you know, brand new. Uh, we could we could see that again, so it's going to be interesting. Oh yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Watch the teams get their head around how to get the best out of them and the various bits of jiggery pokery that they do in order uh, to do that. Um, Sam, as you mentioned, the expectations that come when Porsche do a project are, are sky high, and it, I think it's fair to say they haven't delivered against those so far. Informally, but what have you heard about uh, the test and development work that they've been undertaking ahead of um, season nine? And, and is this finally going to be the year that they they do what we all expected when they came in? Yeah, they they seem to have done a lot of miles. Um, that's what I hear. Jake's had some running, as he said. Uh, Lotterer, De Costa, Verline, and De, De Silvestro have had a go in the car too. But we also know that they've had some test compromised by this this battery cell issue um porsche certainly had a positive test in i think mallorca last month um which wasn't interrupted as far as i know or i hear through any of those those issues which are are ongoing um with the spec rest in the car so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see they they've got they've got a fair bit to uh, prove still in Formula E, that's for sure. But you know, with the with the spec issues that they've had with the battery and the the ultra last minute nature of 
getting this um, Gen 3 project up and running. I think I think there could be a bit of a lottery element to the first stretch of races between Mexico City in January and then Sao Paulo in, in March. You know, we've got, I think there are six races in nine weeks, so it's a busy start to the first Gen 3 season. I just I just hope that it's not compromised by reliability as much as, as is feared by, by some people that I'm speaking to at the minute. Um uh, Porsche delivering yeah well, I mean they they have to don't they um, their first three seasons as we've said haven't delivered what they expected so yeah that's precisely why it was I think a pretty smart move by Andretti to get this deal done with them last year because Porsche are you know a Porsche are feisty they want to they want to deliver what they've promised the last three seasons I'm expecting them DS and Jaguar to be right at the front. I think they've all done good mileage in, or as much mileage as they can in testing, um, in addition to their supply teams, of course, because don't forget, you know, for the Porsche Andretti axis, there's also Maserati uh, and DS and, and Jaguar and Envision too. So as it stands, I think Nissan, Mahindra and Neo probably have some work to do. Uh, but yeah, intriguingly, you know, I'm hearing that Neo have had some strong tests as well. So going to be interesting to see if they're a, a dark horse next season. But yeah, I mean, Porsche, Porsche and, and Andretti, I would say, um, will be in the mix. And I think, you know, Jake said that earlier that uh, they hope to be in the mix and they'll be, they'll be winning races. It's going to be that question, isn't it, on occasion of who's going to win? You know, we've seen the suppliers um, been beaten by their customers before. Envision have done it uh, previously in Venturi, of course. So it's th- that dynamic's interesting to see and it'll be fascinating to see how Porsche handles that because there are going to be days when, you know, Jake and Andre are beating Antonio and, and Pascal. That's just that's just the way it goes in, in racing. Um, and it's always interesting to see how the, the, the mother team, let's say, is um, yeah, reacts to that. Porsche haven't had that scenario before in Formula E so yeah that's going to be uh, that's going to be worth keeping tabs on Jake looking at the calendar it appears quite top heavy with six races in nine weeks so really it's going to favour those that hit the ground running in Mexico isn't it yeah definitely uh, <laughs> is that how many it is six in nine weeks Jesus it's something like that Sam isn't it you, you, yeah it is yeah that is a lot I, I do it <laughs> yeah. busy but yeah that is that's a lot that is um, but yeah it's definitely going to favour the the uh, <laughs> The people which hit, hit the ground running. Now, I think the development will be fast, uh, especially that start of the season. But you know, everyone's going to be making strides. But yeah, it's it's only going to you know work in your favour if you can you know get a good result in Mexico and then realise you've got a good package and then obviously try and try and exploit that because they will catch up whoever it will be, especially like a top team. If you know someone like uh, I don't know Jack say. Jaguar do appear to be uh, struggling. It won't take them long to turn it around. Um, yeah, nine weeks would be pretty quick, but by that point, you know, you've missed six races. So, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully we're on the, the good end of that and we can exploit good results at the start of the season. Um, but, yeah, everyone's going to be pushing um, really hard in this first season, not just from our team, but also everyone uh, involved in Porsche and every other team on the grid. Um, like you said, I generally think Neo looked quite quite impressive uh, from what I saw at Verano. Because, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like sandbagging is so much of a thing in Formula E. Um, you know, it's not like the junior ca- categories or Formula 1 in testing. So their pace looked pretty genuine. And um, 
I'm just looking forward to seeing who who on the grid has a good car. Uh, I think it's a really exciting time for Formula E, and it's we need to try and you know expose this and, and really get it out there to the public that we've got a new car and that we're we're here to to put on a good show as well. Well, another part of that good show is the little twist they've made to the sporting format. Um, Sam broke the details of the story, but Jake, what are your thoughts on the way that attack mode has been slightly changed so that you can divide the time up that you're using full power? Yeah, I, do, I read this article a couple of days ago, actually, uh, from you guys, and uh, it was, for me, I think it's great. Um, you know, I, I do like attack mode. I'm glad, I'm glad Fan Boost is gone. But oh god yeah all of us are <laughs> yeah i think i think we grew out of that um in season you know three or four basically then two uh, and yeah we didn't we didn't need that fan interaction anymore uh and yeah it just i'm so i'm glad that's gone but either way the attack mode i think it's a di- just a different twist especially if uh it'd be awesome if you could you know calibrate it during the race so if you know they've done three minutes plus one minute then you know you you can do the opposite type thing one minute plus three so um yeah it's definitely going to be a a really cool feature i'm glad it's it stayed that's for sure uh, because it is a great way to to use strategy and pass people um so yeah um, i'm looking forward to it and really figuring out the best uh best technique for it well sam you scooped the story so uh, what do you think about it yeah, I mean it's it's a redrafted attack mode system. Um, it's got a uh, working title of attack charge validation. I'm not sure if that's going to be used. Actually, that's going to be changed. Know. I guarantee. You. <laughs> <laughs> and on Showtime, let's call it a working title at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it sounds good. I think it's um, it's creative. I think that it will give a lot of scope for different strategies, um, several different twists. Um, yeah, I, you know, getting back to lap races, I think is good. Uh, the 45 minutes plus, plus one lap just seemed to be unduly, um, complex for, uh, in the context of the race and the attack modes and yeah, all, all kinds of reasons. I, I much prefer going traditional and going back to, to laps in, especially in single seater races. It's yet to be officially confirmed just to, just to caveat that, but, um, this is what we anticipate to be within the sporting regs, which should be um, should be published very soon. Um, the FIA, just to go over it, just to give some, some facts to the matter of what we believe will happen, is that the FIA is going to give competitors options, essentially, of, of how attack mode activations will be used. So while the number of um, activations and durations of boost have varied up until now, race by race, they could only be deployed by drivers um one way each time so now there is if this is if this this goes through which we expect it to now there will be a different different scenarios different possible scenarios and and time combinations that all add up to the four minutes of additional power so to give an example um this this validation could be used as three times one minute or one times three minute or two times two minute in those combinations does it go far enough is it as exciting enough well you know, the original attack mode was successful. It was popular, as Jake says. You know, he enjoys racing in that format. So, what you know, why meddle with anything there? Let's just have a twist on it, which is exa- exactly what they've done. It was, of course, supposed to go hand in glove with fast charging pit stops for next season, but we know now that that won't be in the start of the of the championship. You know, the, the, there's been a, a knock on. Um, delay to that but there is a possibility still that 
it will come midway through the season. Let's give it a few races and see. I think the only worry for me is that in a relatively short race, it might be difficult to illustrate what everyone is doing on TV. And it might just be too much to take in for the for the viewer. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people said that about the original attack mode and in the last three seasons, uh, four seasons. And, you know, generally, we all know that Aurora do a great job in the TV production. The commentators, well... Dario and uh, and Nikki do. I'm not sure about Jack, but nah. uh, they do a great job of <laughs> of describing it. So uh, let's see. It's it sounds good fun, and I think there's a yeah. I think there's a lot of scope for some really exciting racing next season. Okay, well, as well as uh, testing an IndyCar, Jake, I hear that you also made your Nordschleife debut in a BMW M4. I mean, that seems even further away <laughs> from anything you're going to encounter in Formula E. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've actually been planned to do a few Nordschleife races this year with BMW. I am still contract with them, even though uh, we didn't do too much this year. But um, just the way it worked out with some of the Nordschleife races being cancelled, it meant it just got delayed. And um, yeah, a crazy experience. Uh, something which was one of the biggest challenges I've ever had. You know, it was the typical Nordschleife weather of just wet on slicks and then slicks on wets and not being able to see at certain times and how, how many cars out there look thankfully it wasn't one of the biggest race one one of the bigger races so i think it was still well over 100 but <laughs> amazing <laughs> it, was, it was still a lot felt like i was passing a lot of cars but um it was much easier than you know obviously when i took my license when i had to learn to get the license when you're in one of the slower cars you know you're looking in both directions with that car that bmw m2 i was in you know, you, you're looking for the you're looking for the GTs which are coming up behind you quite quick, and then you're also looking obviously ahead because you're passing slower cars. Whereas the GT, which I drove the other week, um, yeah, you just need to focus on basically going forward. So that was much nicer. You know, you're not constantly looking in the mirrors, and um, it obviously didn't really work out the race. Um, we had to basically stop on the first lap after the after the start of the race and remove all the leaves out of our radiator so we were pretty much out of contention directly and then uh, we had another failure um which was sort of out of our control before i'd even driven uh, before i even jumped in at this point so but uh, nevertheless when i finally got to drive it was one of the best experiences i've ever done in motorsport just the new uh, m4 gt3 uh, combined with you know a semi-confidential um yokohama tire and uh, and the Nordschleife, it was just literally a pleasure to drive. You know, I didn't didn't have any pressure from from anyone really because we were out of the race basically, and I could just enjoy each lap as it went by. And you know, I got better and better. And towards the end, we were basically le- the leader's pace, uh, which I was surprised about. You know, you go there thinking that you're going to be multiple multiple seconds off, uh, which you are initially. But you know, if you just gain a tenth per corner, you're around about. 20 seconds quicker so uh yeah just learning i had to relearn where it went when i first went out i I was too busy i couldn't do any simulator work beforehand and i was like i actually can't remember how this track goes entirely but it's really quite narrow in places as well any sort of dodgy moments yeah i had my fair share of moments that's for sure especially slicks on a wet track and uh yeah, they, they said they, they couldn't believe I hadn't driven the new M4 by this point, the team I rocked up for. They were like, okay, so when was the last time you drove the GC3? And I was like, I haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> so my first time out on it was in the dark 
wet or slash damp on slicks. And uh, yeah, that was a an experience to say the least. You know, you know, the last thing you want to do is crash the car just in practice. So it was there was a lot to take in. Um, but yeah, the next day was a bit easier because the race was uh, completely dry. Uh, so yeah, I could just properly get into the rhythm of everything and um, and just enjoy it. It was um, a great experience, and I definitely want to do more next year. I'd love to do the twenty four hour. Um, I think it's going to be tight with timing because I believe it's in May this year. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, looking forward to it and working with BMW again next year. Oh, brilliant! Well, yeah, the twenty four hours just a, a, an insane event, and some of the sites you'll see in the in the campsite if you get a chance to wander around uh, really are quite phenomenal. Um, but Jake, we can't have you on this podcast uh, without mentioning Jake Dennis struggles. Um, for those of you who might be unaware, this is an absolutely marvelous Twitter account that deals with the sort of. Uh, unfortunate incidences that before jake in his domestic life i mean not that we're gonna you know dob you in or anything but it'd take us 20 minutes to get this podcast going because you couldn't get your laptop working but um, no i had to swap my laptop out but there in the end just 20 minutes behind schedule is is this a fair reflection of of your life are you really like that yeah very much so it's this year has been by far the worst i have no idea what or who I possessed to have this many delayed flights. I honestly think I had 95% delayed slash cancelled flights. Right, so we have to find out what his travel schedule is and don't go on any of those planes. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) if you're on the same flight as me, just literally book one an hour later and you'll get there before me. There was times where it was like seven hour delays, 30 minute delays, and then obviously connectings. My first flight was always delayed, so then I'd miss my connecting. Uh, It was just an absolute disaster. And then I was, that's just flying. And then you've got, there was times where my taxi drivers were always crashing in it when I was in it. So they were just <laughs> crashing into the people and you got to like delay because they have to do the insurance stuff. And it was just a struggle. And now it became that bad and that often uh, they've, <laughs> the the fans and the public have taken it upon themselves to, to make a Twitter account. And, and it's honestly, the admin, uh, the admin on it is, uh, is a lot, you know, they're, constantly posting but um are they like following you around are they spying on you they're yeah, meant to get the info from <laughs> maybe they seem to know more than what i do but um yeah they're actually super funny and some of the content they ca- they come up with is a lot funnier than what i could ever think of so uh, it gets really good interest and uh yeah jake dennis struggles go check it out on twitter you'll have a laugh that's for sure sadness <laughs> is making your soul taxi and lost phone debacle look small fry so you got you got to raise your game mate <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I. Do you know what the the one I saw recently was of uh, of Jake climbing up his flat or a villa or something. Oh, that was, was an that? for my holiday. <laughs> <I really don't> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> that was a good one. He yeah. sort of takes off his. Uh, I remember you taking off your rigs and your, yeah. your necklace thing, and then shinning up a drain pipe to that, get to get in his villa. That was quite a jump. That that was that was pretty tall. That was a good like twelve footer. I had to go drag the dinner table from inside outside, and then launch myself up and thankfully i just forgot to shut my bathroom my bedroom slide door otherwise we would have been locked out and all my mates were still in ushwire until probably god knows what time and um yeah it was uh thankfully i managed to jump up and get in but otherwise it would have been a bit of a disastrous night to sit outside yeah wouldn't have fancied explaining that to Roger and Michael if you uh, fell off that balcony <laughs> where well, you couldn't no. do the test uh, I know, right? in New York. Imagine. 
I would have said I'm, I'm out running and I spread and I broke my ankle or something like that. Oh uh, yeah, but Jake Dennis struggles will have would have dobbed you in. You know, you'd have, <laughs> blown your cover. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah, you need to get a deal with them. If there's anything that confidential, you know, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh, uh, Sam, right. Okay, just uh, before we wrap this up, I guess there's a little bit of news. Where are things with Gen 3 at the moment? Because we know we've documented the troubles that it's been having. Yeah, um, race against time, really, to get everything ready. Uh, there's, there's certainly um, delays on getting all the parts to teams to build their race cars, um, but it's getting there slowly but surely. Um, but it's going to be tight. You know, we're talking three weeks until Valencia, and then essentially it's three weeks to Mexico because everything gets shipped out to Mexico City immediately after the test. So, yeah, massive pressure to get everything up and ready additionally there's the issue with the spec battery supplied by williams advanced engineering which we first reported in september what we know is that the cars are running generally reliably but only up to a point um on some tests where it appears that some oscillations cause an issue which is allegedly seeing some of the cells leaking that the cells were actually changed earlier this year as the original ones weren't quite up to the specification of the the tender which was won by uh, Williams Advanced Engineering and, and the new ones were fitted and were better but um, seemed to be fragile in some circumstances I, I, we understand solutions are still being sought but it's not just clear at the moment how reliable they're going to be especially further down the season when duty cycles are reached and um, you know the miles are ratcheted up so it's you know of course this car is a big step from gen 2 to gen 3 and these units are much lighter and they have to deal with much more demand and stress this has been part of the reason why the fast charging will not be part of the sporting format from the start of the season then we we could see it from sort of berlin monaco time or they may choose to delay it to 2024 so there's a there's a whole load of issues problems to address in the next two months before we even go racing in mexico but you, you know what racing's like it's um somehow it's all right on the night as um as dennis norden once said shall we say but it just seems to come together doesn't it and the big hope is that this will come together but there are certainly looking further on there are questions from the teams and the manufacturers in particular as to how this project has has been run because there's been multiple problems and there's going to be a feeling i think next season of still learning about this car there was always going to be that but i think it will be above and beyond what was anticipated with uh with some of these problems at the moment i'm talking of the uh, fia there's been a bit of a furore let's put it as the man behind the Gen 3 project, Frederick Burton, has made a move to Mahindra. Um, I guess that's not been universally popular, Sam. No. To say that, uh, to quote one team principal who shall remain nameless, it's gone down like a knackered lift, i.e. not at all. So <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah, it's caused a, a bit of a... <laughs> The, the thing is, you can't, you know, you can't um, deny somebody changing their career and you can't deny somebody switch into a different you know the other side of the fence poacher term gamekeeper whatever you want to call it but this was a big surprise and it's a surprise because of the timing we're going to a new rule set and frederick Bertrand has been um integral and in extremely um uh, powerful in terms of getting formula e up and running and um and ensuring that it's had the success that it has at the same time, um, someone so senior leaving to become a team principal when there is a lot of privileged information, not necessarily technical, but more about the makeup of the teams, 
particularly the financial uh, regulations which came into effect on the 1st of October, then you, you can see why people are um, surprised, let's say, about this move and the pace of it. So we believe, or we've been told, that he will start just before the Valencia test. Um, and he, as far as we know, he's still working for the FIA, or he certainly was as of last week. So that is, you know, mid-November or, or the first two weeks of November. And, and taking meetings or being part of meetings uh, as an FIA representative. So there's a bit of, I don't know, let's say crossing streams there. Um, and that is what is contentious about this. And I think some of the people I've spoken to uh, on or off record, I mean, Roger Griffiths was 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 great and been on the record about his uh, his opinion on it and so was Florian Modlinger from Porsche that some questions need to be asked and, and potentially in the future does there need to be a um, a structure or some legislation that um, that precludes such a fast-paced change in um, you know going to see if the grass is greener on the other side I mean that's not for us to call but certainly i think that at the um the formula e teams and manufacturers meeting in valencia that that potentially some of these these questions and these queries might be might be raised and finally it wouldn't be a formula e podcast without sam's calendar update so uh what's going on with all these to be confirmed races then yeah, this must be what the six hundred and fifty second edition of Sam's calendar. I, update, I've I absolutely lost count now, but yeah, so <laughs> well, we're, we're up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we expect an update in December. That's when the next World Motorsport Council meeting is. The Formula E um, Formula e holdings are trying to get uh, an alternative in Seoul, um, but that is going to be very challenging. I think that the Jamsil area where we raced last August is not going to be available because of some building work that's going on there. Um, yeah, they've decided to renovate it 30-odd years after it was built for some unknown reason, right? Yeah, yeah, they have. And um, I really enjoyed, you know, Jake really enjoyed it because he was, you know, he had some great results there. But I just loved being there. I thought it was a terrific place. And that model of racing around major stadia and exhibition centres and so forth, you know, we've talked about that before, haven't we? We, we There is a feeling that that is going to be much more prevalent in Formula E um, to save disruption to city centres and to to have some events around iconic stadiums. Um, so, yeah, if they can get something else in Seoul, then that will fill the, um, the uh, May date. Um, but it looks like they may instead look for another double header to plug that gap if they... Uh, if they can't get an alternative to the to the Jamsil Olympic Stadium area, so let's see. I mean, Hyderabad has been mentioned to me recently as possibly becoming a double Formula E. Senior race makers were out there um, last week looking at the at the track and the location for that circuit. The US race, which you know has been a major disappointment, that there is a potential of not being a, a race in America, and that particularly will be so for Avalanche Andretti, of course. I just completely agree with Sam that we really need to. I think hold on to the to the American American dream, as they say. But no, the American track. Uh, I think obviously Formula One have done a really good job of capturing, you know, the the American market with obviously Drive to Survive and just uh, Texas F One event. It's massive, and I think to even have a year away, you you could potentially lose the fans we have out there and and easily be forgotten. And yeah, I just think the, the American. Uh, market at the moment is really enjoying motorsport so yeah but yes it's obviously a shame we don't race in new york anymore but nevertheless 
to, to lose America entirely would be a, a great shame uh, for, for everyone involved, to be honest. Yeah, I was in Kota and it's one of the busiest, maybe even the busiest uh, F1 race I've ever been at. You know, it took a, yeah. an hour just to get out of the uh, out of the paddock. There were so many people there. Yeah, I mean, should, should Formula E not be able to get a US race? I think it could be that Rome, I've heard that Rome could move back a little bit to plug that gap in, in June, late June. But yeah, let's hope we can get to the US wherever it is. And a quick mention for Tokyo, we, we found out recently that um, there's going to be a demonstration of a Gen 2 car in the city close to where they want to have um, the race in 2024 so that's a good move that's a good positive step and Sakon, Sakon Yamamoto is doing the demonstration Hero and Star of Battersea Park in 2015 VW you remember that hopefully they, they it's a lovely wide piece of road for him um, to drive that <laughs> I've never seen so much uh, carbon fibre behind a pit before but uh, God bless him he was uh, entertaining that weekend uh, he, he certainly was brilliant thanks for the update there Sam um, some more really good stuff and don't forget to check out all of Sam's Formula E latest on the race.com thank you so much Jake for joining us I hope there are no struggles for the rest of the day and uh, we wish you the very best uh, for the season 9 uh, and we'll be back uh, with another episode ahead of the Valencia test next month I think uh, and uh don't forget to check out our other podcast from Formula One, MotoGP and IndyCar. Thank you for listening and goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>